the Fail On Podcast, episode 018. But again, I think the, the bigger needle mover would be for the person to to do what I did and, and make some offers to people that you might be afraid to make offers to. And you'll see if you can deliver on the goods, it'll be a game changer for you. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes you are destined for more and that failing your way to an inspired life is the only way to get there. Today, we are sitting down with Nicholas Kuzmich. Nick is the world's leading Facebook ad strategist and is the guy behind the highest campaign ROIs in the world. He's also the best-selling author of the newly released book, Give, the ultimate guide to using Facebook advertising to generate more leads, more clients, and massive ROI. It's an inspiring conversation, a heartbreaking conversation at times, and one that will surely bring you enormous value. We'll be discussing how it's okay to give up and how to know exactly when to move on, the precise moment he saw the opportunity in starting his business and the value in mastering Facebook ads, and how entrepreneurship isn't glamorous and can actually be extremely painful in so many different ways and much, much more. But first, if you'd like to stay up to date on all the Fail On podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. Nicholas, welcome to the Fail On podcast, my man. Hey, Rob. I am excited to be here and excited to talk about failure. Uh, <laughs> I love it. So we last met about a year ago, and we had some really interesting conversations around kind of what you did in your past, how you got right. into entrepreneurship, even faith. So before we start talking about your current ventures and stuff, yeah, let's go back to what you were doing pre-entrepreneurship and how that kind of transitioned into starting a business. Yeah, you know, looking on it in hindsight, it almost feels like the whole journey was in some way entrepreneurial. Let's rewind back to, well, man, I witnessed my dad have his first heart attack when he, when I was four years old. I'm an only child because I'm an only child. I remember when I was, I don't know, 16, 17, mom coming home, tears in her eyes, crying, literally. And I'm thinking, what just happened? And dad had a heart attack, so it meant that they had to stop working. They had a little business that they ran together. So dad had stopped working because of this heart attack and mom comes home crying and I'm thinking, what on earth just happened? She had gone to a job interview and didn't get the job because she was older and she couldn't speak English well. So I just remember sitting in, in my living room thinking to myself, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm never going to let mom be in a situation where she feels like she has to work to support the family. So with my back up against the wall and being an only child, I was almost like forced into entrepreneurship, if you will. So I started looking at opportunities. Unfortunately, that's not a good thing because when you're desperate, you look at opportunities and most opportunities are not the best. But it got me open you know, to trying these new things. And I remember one of my first endeavors outside of my desire to, to make an impact through my faith, which led me into a pastoring role. I was kind of on two parallel paths at the same time. So one on the business side was I just got to figure out a way to make some money pay for my, not for my, even my lifestyle to support my family. Like coming out of school, were you, did you get a job, like the typical route that most people go, school, job, right. family, that yeah, kind of thing? No, because like I just was finishing up high school and then this happened where my parents lost their business. 
So, you know, on this path, then I, I, you know, joined a multi-level marketing company. I was joining all these kind of make money online your, type things. Is that your first kind of business? That, kind of. Or how you were introduced to it, really? Yeah. I was the same. It's yeah. funny. And they made it seem so easy. Yeah. I was going to be a gazillionaire <laughs> in like three weeks. I'm like, this is it. This is amazing. And obviously, very quickly, you realize that's not the case at all. And then I went down the path of, I remember, again, I'm desperate. I saw a newspaper ad back when those existed that said, hey, like, make something like $17 an hour. And I remember at the time, minimum wage, at least where I lived, was like four or five bucks. I'm like, 17 bucks an hour? What is this? And I remember going to an interview, walking in. There's a bunch of like people my age, like high school and just a little older. Like, what the hell is going on? It's a group interview. It's not even the same. And the guy gets up to in the front of the room. And he cuts a rope in half with a knife and he's basically like, you're going to sell these. And it was my introduction <laughs> to vector marketing and Cutco. And I'm like, well, if I can still get paid. And the pitch was like $17.29 an hour guaranteed. So I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I'll cut and I'll cut rope all day long. Cutco is the way a lot of guys, I think we both know that got into entrepreneurship. How Elrod, John Rule, yeah. who, who else? There's there's quite a oh, few. God, almost everyone I know. <laughs> it's, but it's, it teaches such a valuable skill, right? Like It does. And. Like, would I do it again? Maybe not. But the fact that that's what was presented before me and I had to get really good at a skill really quickly. Now, fortunately for me, and I don't know where this came from, maybe it just came from my genes because I was told dad was a salesman in his career. You know, I did, I did well. They called me Mr. Ultimate because the most expensive knife set you could sell there was the Ultimate set and it was a $2,200 knife set. <laughs> and my, something just clicked in my mind to say, well, I could either sell the $500 one or I could sell the $2,000 one. If I'm going to be in the person's house anyways, I'm going for the $2,000 one. And even if they say no to that, then the $500 one seems like a bargain. So they called me Mr. Ultimate because I was just like, hell, we're just going to sell ultimates. And I had the most ultimate sales ever. Not because I think I was great, but I think I was the only guy who had the balls to like, let's just sell ultimates. Just focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like my parlay into entrepreneurship. Because again, you're a contractor. You got to pay your own bills. You got to pay your own expenses. And it's hard, right? You're going out <laughs> yeah, selling like, like yeah, you're person in people's person. homes exactly. and you're selling them stuff that they don't kind of want. I mean, nobody's thinking, "Oh my god, I want to spend two thousand dollars on a on a pair of knives or a set you of show knives." Show up at my house and sell me knives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody is thinking that. So you're in a position which is very anti my ethos right now. Like my ethos never says go try to sell someone something they don't want. It's very like interruption type marketing, very right? Which so. is what you're totally and against, like so. super like manipulative is not the right word, but almost like if you see some of the world's best salesmen, they'll call it influence, but really it's persuasion and manipulation. And that's just so against my ethos. But I guess at the time, I'm like, well, I'm going to learn a skill set. So we went on. I, I did well for a 17-year-old kid. That opened me up into a direct selling company. And then basically my job there was to get on stage and people would bring people into a, a room, a hotel room, and I'd give a presentation, try and sell this thing. And that kind of parlayed into things and things and things until I was kind of introduced to the internet marketing world. And that is, again... I mean, it's super slimy. Some of the worst people in the world are there and some of the best people in the world are there. But it introduced me to another way to do business. And the long story short of that is like that was a rabbit hole that I went down that led to one thing that led to another that then had me find this Facebook thing. And now, at least currently, our business revolves entirely around Facebook advertising. So, With, so yeah. Outside of your current business, which I want to talk talk about as well, Yeah. going back, looking looking down at your journey, what has been the toughest struggle in terms of getting started and really getting traction in business? Was it just that? Was it the getting started and figuring out what you want to do piece or was it once you got started? Well, I think it was for me, it was less about what I wanted to do because I was never attached to this like passion theology. 
that basically says, hey, find what you love and do it. I was never attached to that because I was, I was not afforded that luxury. I was not waking up in the morning passionate about selling knives, but I had to do it. Like I was not passionate about selling these wealth experiences from stage, but I had no choice. I had to do it. Very financial driven at first because that's what you had to, that's what you needed, right? Yeah, exactly. And so my narrative taught me and, and God bless the people who are like, hey, find your passion and follow it. But like my whole life experience has never been about that. And to this day, I don't wake up in the morning super passionate about Facebook ads. Like it's just, I'm passionate about helping people, working with people, but that's, you know, a side note. So I think the hardest thing for me was maybe I had bought into the lie that it was going to be easy. And so I went in like, I'm an overachiever. I got this. I I excel at everything that I do. And then I'm in this entrepreneurial game. And then like, it wasn't easy and I didn't win and I didn't sell and it was hard. And so more than anything, I was just, I think it was this, this, this mental aspect of confidence I heard Dan Sullivan say one day, and it just made more sense to me you know, in the last couple of years, but he said, entrepreneurship is all about a first building confidence and then remaining in it. And I just found that true to be true about myself because the lie that it's easy and it all works out and everything's great all the time, or the lie that, hey, it's a struggle until you get to a certain point and then it's easy. No. So yeah, the, I think the hardest struggle at the beginning was just kind of going through my own mental thing and and picking yourself up and dusting yourself off when it doesn't work because how many times and i'm not a motivational guy and i'm not the guy who's like raw get up if you get beat down get back up and i think there are appropriate times to quit Hmm. when would be an appropriate time to quit if you start something and (sighs) i think if it becomes a true burden and is harming you and your family I think people, I've seen that in my own life and I've seen it in others where they're just so attached to an outcome, but they've been fed the belief that never give up, you know, quitters, was it quitters never win and winners never quit. So they've held on to that and they just keep going and going. And sometimes you got to just put up and surrender and say, well, maybe this is not it. You see it on Shark Tank a lot, right? Right, Where these people are just, which one, you know, they're very passionate about what they're doing, which is amazing. Yeah. But it's just obvious. It's like so obvious to everybody that the business just doesn't make sense at all. And they've like mortgaged their house. They're doing all this stuff and you're just like, oh. Yeah. So when would you say if somebody's in that position where they're kind of like running into the wall, running into the wall, not breaking through yet? Because sometimes success is right. It's so close. Three feet from gold. Exactly. And then people quit. So how do you find that balance of, do I keep pushing through it? Am I that close to the gold or do I just quit? I wish there was an easy answer in a formula that I don't know. For me, whenever, again, I think the general feeling was whenever it felt like truly a burden, not a blessing, it was time to quit. It's more of like a gut type. This doesn't feel right. Gut and intuition. But I think there's also other signs. Like, so, you know, going back to the other parallel path that I was on, I was a pastor for 14 years of my life. Probably seven or eight years in, I knew that it was time to move on. But I had the faith narrative saying, you don't give up on this. And then I had my overachiever belief tell me, you never give up on anything. You endure, you press on. And I think I stayed in eight years or seven, seven, six, six, seven years too long. You know, at that mark, I felt like truly this was not a blessing to my life. It was a burden and a burden that I was carrying under the guise of I just carry burdens. That's part of my life. And who's to say if I left earlier, who knows what could have happened? And that was full time though. You weren't doing business on the side or were you? full-time, part-time, everything was (laughs) full-time. So it was full-time, but it was like less than half-time or part-time pay. So I did have to have the business, the quote-unquote side hustle to pay the bills. 
in my life. So those that was going on simultaneously. Yeah. And what was that at the time? That was the whole Cutco. That was Cutco. So you were Cutco during. The, that was the, the training. That was the internet marketing. That was all that. That was in my life to supplement the pastoring thing because the pastoring thing wasn't paying the bills. I felt like a lot of that's just been kind of foundational in terms of your journey of, you know, you learned direct selling, you learned, you started to learn internet marketing right? and it's all kind of accumulate, like it's built up to where, to what you're doing now with Facebook. Yeah. And I don't know if that's intentional or just happened to be how the, the cards lie. I don't know if that was just me saying, Hey, I have all these experiences. Let's see if I can utilize them. Like one of the things I love to do now is speaking. And I think, you know, pastoring played a big role in that because every Sunday you're on a stage and you're speaking to people. And so I try to carry that into what I do now. Had I had not done that, would I have loved speaking? I don't know. I wish I could say I was intelligent enough to like think back and like, oh, look at all these perfect pieces in the pie that led to where we are today. I, I'm not that smart. But yeah, you know, I look back. Actually, Brian Tracy has this great quote that I'm thinking about now who says, if you knew then when you started what you knew now, would you have gotten into it in the first place? And if the answer is no, it's time to get out. When I look back on several experiences of my life, it was filled with those, if I knew then what I knew now, would I have gotten into it? And my answer was, no, I wouldn't have. I should have gotten out. No, I, I probably pushed on longer than I should have. Six, seven years. That's a long, it's a long time. time to push. But you see that, I think you see that everywhere. You see that in like people in bad relationships and just like, oh, let's stay in. Or you see that in a, in a business endeavor and like, oh, let's just stay in. Or, you know, speaking on another personal level, like simultaneously, I'm married to a woman who I, you know, it was just not a healthy relationship. The long and short of it is I found out she was having extramarital affairs with multiple, multiple, multiple people, people in my congregation when I was a pat, like it was just not a pleasant experience. But my narrative, and I, I don't condone leaving hard relationships. I'm, I don't condone divorce. I like none of that stuff, especially being a pastor. The theology tells you you can't do that either. So every Everything in me was like, no matter how bad this is or how ugly this gets, you're in this for life. Right. So what was the tipping point where you're like, maybe that it, like talking about quitting or keeping go yeah. pushing through it, yeah. what made you realize that that needed to end? I think it was a combination of two things. One was, and I think I had the easy way out. So putting back on my faith hat for a second, for, for a second, you know, the scripture at the time that I hold dearly to was said that you cannot exit a relationship under any means but adultery. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And it was a combination of that and the fact that I basically felt like I didn't have a choice because she left me completely at the same time. Like there was no desire on her part to make this work. And I had initially made that desire to make it work. I didn't know how I was going to work it out. And to be frank, you had to be devastated. At this devastated, point. and and I don't know if we can cuss on this thing. So yeah, cuss away. Pasture. Damn, yeah, I gotta remember the context here. Like devastated one. I was broken, hands down for sure, no questions asked. But I was also fucking pissed oh, off. Yeah, I can imagine. And it, it, for me to sit here and say I wish no ill will on her, that's bullshit. I yeah. wish a ton of ill will on her, <laughs> even to this day. And I think part of my saving grace in telling the story is just to throw her on the bus every time I tell the story. But I think for me, I had that easy way out because, you know, my life and my theology and, and my belief system said, you're in this for life. But when, you know, the theology gives you an out and when she doesn't give you a choice, it makes it easy to walk away from. You know, I don't know if she turned around and was like, I'm so sorry, I'm do I'll do everything to make this work. 
you know, maybe my my story at the time would have told me you got to figure out how to make this work. Or maybe I would have just been so broken and, and upset that I'm like, you know what, screw you. I'm, I'm done with this regardless. So I had an easy way out to quit on from the, that. On the same note of that, you obviously came to a tipping point being a pastor. Yeah. What was kind of the tipping point there that made you also quit and decide to move on? Ah, that's a great question. I think it was a combination of like just mass frustration, which I think is a great indicator of you being involved in something that you don't want to be in, coupled with like the universe just getting louder and louder and louder. So I started having people come up to me and saying, you got to do this. You got to get out, you know, and get, get out and do what? Did they, did they think there was you no, had... There was no okay. path. Okay. Yeah. It was just like, <laughs> just get, get the out. hell out. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it, I think if I had a path, it would have made it easier because at least it's like, hey, I'm leaving something, but I'm moving towards something else. But in this case, it was just like, get out. Was it more so the people that were kind of pushing you to get out or was it more of your internal feeling that this is not right? I think it was a perfect alignment of both. So it was like an internal thing that got louder and louder over the seven years to the point where it was a, a nightmarish scream in my ears, like, get the hell out. And then it was a combination of the situation getting so rough that there's no sense to stay in. And third-party validation of people just coming up to you and saying, Nick, like, what are you doing? I think it's time for you to move on. And all three perfect, I'm a slow learner. It takes years, as you can see, and a whole bunch of signs for me to make a decision. Not anymore. I think I've learned it the hard way then. But it was a combination of those three things that I was like, okay, finally, I'm going to do this. And still then I was scared spitless. So I, I, I went to my now wife, amazing, beautiful. I mean, I love her to death. She was my girlfriend at the time, her fiance. And I'm like, I'm scared. And she basically turned to me and she's like, well, you know, as you figure this out, I got your back. Like I got my corporate job. I do very well. You know, I got your back. So you have a few months to figure this out. That's huge. Yeah, because I didn't have savings. I didn't have anything at the time. Plus, the, basically, the divorce took everything from me. So I was sleeping on a friend's couch without a house, without I, mean, I leased a car, without an income, without anything. So I think if I didn't have her, who's like, you have a few months to figure this out. I got your back on that. I don't think I could have done it. I think it's a powerful parallel for people listening that maybe have a job right now that they also have that internal feeling that this isn't right. They know they want to start a business or they know there's something else out there that they want to do. Right. Yet they're stuck with the comfortable salary. What advice would you give to them? Does the pain have to be as bad as it was for you? No, I, th I think if you're just a really slow learner and you need the pain to get that bad to make something happen... I'm kind of of the, like the Gary feel, like what does he call it? He's like seven to two. Is that what he calls it? The like, si yeah, the after hours. Side the after, yeah, the yeah. after hours. Like I think that that's a much more intelligent approach than the cold turkey, burn your bridges. Like I get the motivational people who are like, hey, fuck it, leave your job, burn the bridges, never look back. You have nowhere to go. And you are in a very compromising position. Now that's fine if you're a single young dude who no is living at home. <laughs> like, right. You know, your mom makes you dinner every night. Well, okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have if you have family, you're being irresponsible. Like you're not taking care of anybody nor yourself if you're going to put yourself out on a limb like that. Now maybe certain people's personality needs that. I don't know, that's arguable. My thought is that if you can't make it happen from 7 to 2, just quitting your job and doing it from 9 to 5 is not going to no, do it. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think it's just the safest, easiest, smartest way and then to really like 
I got to be honest, I don't think most people who are in entrepreneurship are cut out to be entrepreneurs. (laughs) Like now it's being presented as this sexy thing, be your own boss and set your own hours. And like, no, it's not that easy. And most people don't have what it takes, but they're being lied to. And they're saying like, some people just need to shut the hell up, be thankful for your job. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier today, that sometimes your passion can be fulfilled through your work. Sometimes your passion will be fulfilled outside of your work and your work is what allows you to live that passion. Now, I don't know which one is right, but I do think that there's this this lie being perpetuated in entrepreneurial circles to say, oh, it's really easy and follow your passion and make it work. And I think for some people that's great, but for others, it's done more of a disservice than a service. And I'm not sure it's the best advice for everybody. Yeah, it's really, that's what this podcast is really about. It's debunking the myth that, entrepreneurship is sexy it's it's overnight successes it's for like for you you've you know there's a foundational piece that was you went through a lot of pain to get to where you are now yeah so just on that note what's been if you had to pinpoint it doesn't have to be business it can be personal whatever and i say failure very loosely here sure just a low point yeah that's really taught you the most that you're able to build off of so it was a is a culmination of many things. So this is a situation where I realized that like my marriage was not in a place I wanted to be in. Simultaneously, every business endeavor that I ever put energy to was failing. I had years ago bought Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it told me that you don't want you don't want earned income, you want passive income, and you want businesses to generate revenue that put into investments that give you a passive, you know, portfolio style income. I'm like, hell, I could do that. So, you know, early on in the days when I was actually good and had a business that was making me money, I threw that all into investments. Now, unfortunately, they were high yield, high risk investments, so that they were producing a great income, but it also mean they were really, really volatile. And so all simultaneously with my marriage falling apart, with my businesses not making any money, simultaneously all my investments crashed at the same time. Like there's just a culmination of everything that could possibly go wrong in your life goes wrong at the same time. And then you're like, wow, I'm at the lowest I can go. There's nowhere to go but up from here. And then you realize, well, actually there's a whole other level of depth (laughs) and suck and hell and shit and like... You know, you're like, you're like knee deep in shit. And then you realize like, oh my God, you know, there's another level where I'm like waist high in shit and then like shoulder high. Now I'm drowning in it. And that was like the story of my life during this season. The accumulation of all these things going wrong. Plus my own mental game was off now because I'm like, oh, I don't have any confidence. I don't know like what's going on. I I can't trust people. I'm stressed. What about my business? I don't like the whole thing. And so I remember, I I don't remember the date to the T. I wish I, I had. But I remember literally be sitting in my office, which was a converted bedroom, at my my corner IKEA desk, like birch black legs. I remember specifically, I'm sitting in front, I'm looking at my computer. I look up at the clock and it says 1:17 a.m. And then I look down and I'm googling the easiest way to take your life, because I'm a coward. I don't want the hard way. I knew the hard way, the whole like slicing of your wrist and all this other stuff that they show on TV. I'm like, no, I want the easy way. That, that that way looks painful. And I'd literally just gotten to the point that I realized, like, is it really worth continuing? This battle's not worth fighting. If this is what life is, I'm done with it. So I had to make a hard decision that day. And I think the only thing that really kept me through in that moment was the fact that I lost my dad in 2005 and my mom is widowed. And if I was her life and if I was gone, this woman would go through a hell that I probably can't even understand or or describe. What made that moment so hard for you? Like, 
what were you actually thinking at that time in terms of like, well, I just want, I'm trying to figure yeah. out the pain that actually led you yeah. to type in those words into Google. I really like life had become such a struggle that like every moment felt painful and I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'd been in this perpetual Murphy's law bout with the devil for God knows how long. And I was just like, I don't see a way out. Every moment is painful. I don't see light at the end of the perpetual tunnel or, or whatever. And if this is what life is going to be, I am out. I don't know what the afterlife has for me, but it certainly can't be worse than this. Was it financial as well? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in a financial strait because again, all my investments had gone to zero. I didn't know how I was going to pay the next bill. I was having this experience with my wife. I had a business that I was investing time, energy, and effort into that wasn't making me money. I was pastoring at a church that, like, it's one of the most thankless jobs in the world. Everyone has you on a pedestal and is judging you for every last thing that you do. So there's a feeling of being unappreciated, of no hope, which is a scary place to be. No hope, no idea of how you were going to pay the bill, no idea of how this was all going to work out. And it just so happened, like, on that particular night, it was, like, the culmination of everything in one swift moment. And at that point, I was, yeah, it just, it didn't make sense to continue. So you thought about your mom. Sounds like she's what, she was your motivation to not follow through with it. Right. What happened from there? What happened the next day? How did you pull yourself out of that rut? So there are two things that I now realize in hindsight. One was I didn't have a path out but what I did have were people who loved me dearly. And when I say love, I mean love like graciously, where there was no like, hey, you know, let me give you some advice. I'm like, you know, fuck you. I, I don't need advice right now. It was just people who are like, Nick, we love you. And I can count them on one hand. It's not like a big network of people. It was a small group of people who were just like, Nick, we love you. We are here for you. Whatever you need, whenever you need it. Do they know how bad it was at the time? No, I never talked about it, but they knew it was bad. Okay. They didn't know how bad it was. But they could just see you withdraw. Yeah, not in a good place. Got it. Yeah. And I think the worst thing you can do in that thing is like, hey, let me give you some advice. Like people in that state don't want advice. They just want to know that they're not alone. And that's all I needed to know that I wasn't alone. So there was that. That was happening on one level. So just support, but like unconditional like support. Where basically, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to give me anything. I'm here for you. I'm not here to give you advice. I'm literally here to be a, a shoulder to cry on if you needed it, which I used often. And the beautiful part about it is we didn't talk about the stuff that was bad. It was just having people around that was good. And then I don't know where I read this, but it came front of mind. I think it was a book or a movie or someone was reading a book in a movie, but the lines stood out to me were, it says something along the lines of pain was meant to be felt. And I think for so long, I'd been running away from pain. The thought came to me, said, what if you're just not in a rush? Like, what if you allow yourself to experience the full brunt of this chaos? Because obviously the running out of it wasn't helping you. So what if you just allow yourself to feel the deepest depths of this pain? Embracing it. Embracing it and not being a rush to get out. And I don't know where that thought came from and why I remembered this line in the movie that I saw probably years ago. But I was like, you know what? Okay. Like, I think life was meant to be experienced in the highest of heights and the lowest of lows. And if you only experience the exhilaration of the highs and you miss the lows, you're not experiencing the full spectrum of life. Now, I do believe most of life is experienced in the gap in between. But the only way to really appreciate the gap in between is 
to have the fullness of both sides. So I said, all right. And so then my mental game shifted to say, okay, I'm surrounded by people who love me. They're not going anywhere and I'm not going anywhere. So I was okay with that fact. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm not going to end this thing. And then simultaneously, I was like, I'm not in a rush to get out. Let me just kind of embrace it. I'm not, and I'm not talking about the hyperbole of like, let me learn the lessons that are to come of this. Obviously, there's lessons to be learned, but that wasn't my intention. It was just like, let Especially me experience. Not the time, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I just like, let me just experience this for, for what it is. Embrace it, like you said. And then it was just slow over time. Just day by day, things started to get a little bit better. Yeah. And you have better days and you have worse days. And, you know, things are good and things are bad. But it was just like, I think just being surrounded by love. And the other big thing was not having a destination and being okay with that. Because my whole life had been driven by outcomes and goals. And here's where I need to be at this time if I'm considered successful or whatever. And for the first time, I was like, I'm not in a rush to go anywhere. And it was my first experience of, again, I'm not trying to get like all Eckhart Tolle-ish, but this idea of like being present. Of like, this is the first time in my life where I don't have a destination. And I'll, unfortunately, I'm experiencing it in a bad way. And what I mean by that is like, I have to embrace pain. Whereas most people who teach be present are like, embrace the good that you have and be grateful. So I was experiencing it from a pain perspective. But it was the first time in my life where I'm just like, I'm good with this. And I'm good not having a destination. And then very slowly over time, having these people around you and taking care of you and and all that. For somebody in that same situation-ish. Yeah. Maybe they're not that to that extent. Sure. But, but they're just low. Yeah. And they don't know what to do next. They don't know where to go. They don't know if it's going to get better. Yeah. What advice would you give to them? Because I feel like you obviously had your mom in, on one side of you that was like, I can't do this to her. Sure. But then you also had those, those the people, that, yeah. yeah, the people that really helped you get through it. Yeah. What's your advice to somebody that's, that's in that situation? Hopefully. And I wish I could say like, find your why. Like my, my, in that moment was my mother. And then later became a father from the perspective of like, you know, dad died and I don't think he wanted me to see go, me go this way either. And I don't know if the reasons are real or not, but I think anyone needs to just come up with a reason why. And not from a motivational standpoint, but just enough to keep your mind on something bigger than yourself. So that's the one thing. And then the second thing is like, I want to assume that everybody has at least one person they can turn to. And I would say, don't, don't hide it. Like be honest with the, the people that you can afford to be honest with and say, Hey man, I'm just like going through this and I don't need your advice and I don't need your help. I just need to know that I'm not going through this alone and that you're here if I need it. And hopefully there's someone in your life who will be that person for you. The reality is maybe not everyone has that person. And that scares me a little bit because if I didn't have that people, I don't know. But ideally, if you find a little bit of a reason why, even if it's not a real reason why, just something to get you out, out of yourself. And then, yeah, just one or two or three folks that you know you can lean on and be honest with them and say, I'm going through a hard time. I just need to know that you're here. I think that that will not immediately solve the problem, but it's going to put you in a place where you can start finding, you know, comfort and rest and healing and all that. Cool. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. So just to bridge the gap and bridge the gap from that moment where you're getting at where all that terrible stuff is happening to you starting what you're doing now with Facebook ads. Yeah. What led you into the business you're in now? I wish I could say like, hey, I had this great idea and this is the way to go. I think it would just, you know, being the right place at the right time. The specific instance I remember very clearly was at this point, I just left the church. 
it was the end of a year going into a new year. So December, like Christmas was my last Sunday at the church. What year, just for context? Yeah, I'm trying to, I, I think it's 2013, 14. Okay. So a few years ago. A few years ago. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just remember I'd left the church and I made this decision that like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I was scared, spitless. And my fiance at the time was like, I got your back. Just figure this stuff out. Don't worry. Don't worry too much. So, so your advice is to find a fiance that has a good corporate job. Yeah, she makes yeah, all the sugar money, mama. and then you can figure out what you want to do yeah, and have all the time and freedom. Yeah, Got it. yeah that's it. That's the takeaway. <laughs> call, call it a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> but again, if I didn't have that, I didn't know. I don't know yeah. what I so would. You had done. a little safety and comfort. I did, and, and I can't. And, and wish I could say, hey, everybody, like you're going to be okay if you just have. But not everybody has that person, so it's not sage advice. But I remember is so it was January. I was on Facebook. Just prior to that, actually, one of our mutual friends, I had met with Jason Gaynard. And he's like, look, Nick, you just need to surround yourself with really good people who are going the same path as you. Sounds like, sounds like Jason. Yeah, huh? his, his kind of thing. Yeah. And so he's like, hey, you're in Toronto? I'm like, yeah. He goes, let me introduce you to this entrepreneurial network called TEP, Toronto Entrepreneurs of Passion and Purpose. So I'm like, cool. And they added me to the Facebook group. And it was in, kind of an inactive group and there wasn't much going on. But one day, like December, a guy posts in there and he's saying, I'm having this event in Toronto and then here was the shtick. It's like, look, I've spent over $100,000 building my network and spending money in education. I want to just take all that and translate it into a one-day event around marketing and stuff like that. And here's the deal. It cost, I think it was like five or 600 bucks, but here's the deal. You come for free and only at the end of the day, if you felt like it was worth it, you can write a check for us or pay, pay the fee at that point. If you didn't think it was worth it, then don't worry about it. And I'm like, hell, I'm going, I'm going to just say it sucked no matter what, right? Because I didn't have the 500 bucks. <laughs> right, so right. So I'm like, you're going to make an offer like that? I'm going to take advantage of that <laughs> offer. And I showed up and it was a friend of mine, now one of my closest friends, Giovanni Marsico. He was holding his first ever event that he called Flight School. And here's the full circle of it. It was just wild. It was held in a, on a Sunday morning at a venue called the Berkeley Church. And it was a converted church of all places. So it's still stained glass windows. Oh, wow. It was used for, it's used for dance clubs and yeah, parties yeah, now, yeah. but it was a church, stained glass windows, A-frame building on a Sunday morning. And I'm there and it's, it's, I'm at Berkeley Church. I'm like, what the hell is going on? At, <laughs> an, event, back, yeah. at an event called Archangel Flight School of all things. <laughs> yep. And now I didn't think about that at the time. I'm thinking of it now. Like this is kind of weird coincidence. So I'm sitting there and at this point, on the online business side of things, I'd gotten pretty good at Facebook ads. But my assumption was, so had everybody else in the world. So I never really talked about it, never was a big deal. Were you doing it for your... For myself. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And because I had a little bit of success in it, I had the random person come up to me and like, hey, can you help me with this? So like consulting, not real consulting, but but that. And so I remember sitting in the room and one of the things that you do at the event is, is 126 talks. And so well, 126 talks is rather than everyone just doing networking, he allows you to go on the stage and for 126 seconds offer a valuable piece of insight that you think could help everybody in the room. And that was your way to introduce yourself. So rather than like, hey, I'm Nick, I do Facebook ads. If you need Facebook ads, come to me. It was teach something on Facebook ads that can help everybody. And it's just a brilliant way to get people networking and introducing yourself without being all like weird about it. So someone had gotten up and I think the question was asked how many, so I had lined up for the 126 talk at this point and someone got up and basically asked the question, so how many people in this room use Facebook ads to grow your business? And to my surprise, well, maybe not even my surprise, 80% of the hands went up, including my own. So I'm like, oh, sweet, you know, kindred spirits here. And then the second question they asked is how many of you found Facebook ads profitable? And my hand was the only one that stood, stayed up. And all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb moment, a halo moment in Berkeley Church on a Sunday morning at an event called Archangel Flight School. (laughs) 
the light bulb went off and said, this is what you, this is, this is what you are going to do. So right there on the spot, I changed my 126 talk to be more about Facebook ads. I got on the stage, I talked 126 seconds on Facebook ads. I got pegged as the Facebook ninja. That was really perceptive insight to be able to gather that information, that data in the room at the time and then say, okay, I'm going to flip my flip the switch here. Yeah, I'm like, now a Facebook guy. Yeah, well, there's literally <laughs> two people in front of me and I always called myself a digital marketing consultant because I thought it sounded cool. <laughs> but when I went up there, I introduced myself as a Facebook ad strategist because it just made sense. And that was the beginning, man. And the rest, as they say, is history. But like, again, right place, right time. I don't know how the stars aligned for me that way. But yeah, on that Sunday morning at that Archangel event, you know, flight school in a Berkeley church, I became a Facebook ad strategist. And I realized, I mean, of course, there was more to it after the fact. I'm like, okay, well, let me figure this stuff out. What does that really mean? But what I did know is I had a skill set and there was an industry and a market that had a need. And those two matched. And it finally, it gave you a focus too, it right? It did give me a focus. So you're like, now this is what I'm doing. Now this is my only goal. And I only had to figure out how do I bring my skill set to the marketplace? Like that was my, how do I do that? And if I could figure out what that was, I'd be in business. So on a tactical level, after you decided that mentally, this yeah. is what I'm doing. Yeah. How did you actually start growing the business? So the first few things was like, like what everybody does. It's like, hey man, let me like, can I help you out with your Facebook ads? Let me just do it for the testimonial. Right. Or let me just do it. And then I'm like, this sucks. Cause like people who want your services for free, aren't the greatest clients. So then I'm like, forget this. I'm not going to be Drake. I'm not going to start from the bottom. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going straight to the top, man. Yeah. So I made this dream list of like everyone who is a hero to me. Like that when I say hero, like people I followed in the internet marketing world or people who are doing some great things. Big name influencer type people. Exactly. I made this short list of like, if I could actually work with ideal clients, who would they be? And I put this on a list. And then I said, well, if those are in fact the people, then like, how can I work with them? What's the shortest path to work with them? Now, keep in mind, this is still a few years ago. So accessing people via social media was a lot easier than it was now, direct messaging them on Twitter or Facebook. But here's my shtick. It was basically, I was going to reach out to all 10 of these people and I was going to say, hey, these are my fees. And it was basically the shtick that was poised to me from Giovanni. It's like, these are my fees. This is what it costs. But I tell you what, let me just, I know you don't know me. Let me just run this campaign for you. And you only pay me after you get a result. Mm. And two of the 10 people said, yes. So it put me in a corner. I thought that was important because it wasn't my previous pitch was like, Hey man, let me do this for free. Give me a testimonial. Cause then the value is not there. But if I said, Hey, these are my fees, but you only have to pay after the value was maintained. I've got a question on this because just for a little context of where we're at. So we're, we're actually at the San Diego Convention Center. You're in town for Todd Herman's event. Right. The 90 day year. Yeah. Michael Gevin, who was just actually in the room with us, we saw him. He has a different kind of approach to this, right? And huh. I'm sure you know, because he basically, so he's got the skill set of being an amazing videographer. Sure. Right. So the way he got into it was reaching out to Tim Ferriss. Right. Or actually Charlie Hone, his assistant at the time, and saying, hey, I'll film it for free. Right. 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 Which was kind of his first big breakthrough. Sure. How do you decide whether or not to, obviously the free route didn't, wasn't the right route for you. So for somebody at home thinking which route's best, yeah. what's kind of your advice there? My route. <laughs> Forget Gibbons. That's a stupid route. No, uh, uh, I, 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 Gibbs is a friend of ours, so we're just joking around with him. I don't think anybody values free anymore. 
back in the day when Gebs did it, it was a smart move. Yeah. I mean, that was seven, eight years ago, right? Yeah. I think it was a smart move because everybody was pitching probably Tim and like, oh my God, like, hey man, like, yeah, and being a, an investor, like he's in the world of pitches and everyone's pitching him. So if someone comes to him and like, let me just do this for free in exchange for a testimonial or whatever, that was a good play then. But I think now, and I get people pitching me all the time, hey man, can I just work for you for free? And I'm like, that's a more pain in my ass than hiring you as a vendor and paying you good fees, but not having to like worry about, you know, the value exchange here. Right, exactly. And so for me, I think it was just right at that time where people were probably reaching out to these people with a bunch of free offers and it just didn't make sense. It didn't work out. So for me, and I think one of the things that I wanted to be very clear on early on in the game was my position in the marketplace. I'd never wanted to be positioned as like free or low end. It was always premium. So that was another unintended, I didn't realize it at the time, but I realized subconsciously that that was important to me and that was important for me to roll out. So I think people, I have a conversation with Todd all the time about this, like Todd and, and me now because of what Todd told me, but he's like, Nick, if I ever look to hire a consultant and their fees are less than like 15K, I'm out because it means you suck, <laughs> right? It means your your fees are just not, if, you, if you're not willing to ask for 15K at least for consulting, you're not even in my realm of consideration. So you don't value your skills as much as right. you need or to. Or you're just really not yeah, that good. Exactly. Right, one or the other. Yeah. So I think that played a little bit of a role into it. Like I think when I wanted to go after higher level folks, higher level folks operate on that level. And so free means cheap and not good and whatever. Paid means good, but of course you want to make an offer they can't refuse or a really good offer that is heavily weighted in their favor with no risk. And that was the offer to me. And it forces you, Dean Jackson actually says, even if you don't do that, like how would you conduct your business if you only got paid after you delivered a result? You know, it forces you to A, make sure you have the chops to deliver. And then if you don't, to be okay with not getting paid for that and sorting that out somehow. Yeah. I was going to ask because you, so the offer you made these guys that were on your dream list is they'd only pay you after you showed results. Right. Did you feel pressure there? Or did, were oh, you yeah. pretty oh, confident? No, no, hell no. Were you pretty confident that you could get the results? No, no, no. no well, I mean, no. <laughs> but so, were, were, you, were you skilled enough at this time yes, to go yes, into yes. and be like, I've got this shit? So, I, so, so it was a combination of both. On the one hand, I'm like, I have a skill set that I feel is stronger than a lot of other people out there. But if it's a bust, shit. Yeah. Uh, and know? my reputation's on yeah, the line exactly. and all this kind of stuff. So I did feel immense amount of pressure. And I was like, yeah, well, here's where the rubber meets the road, right? Either sink or swim. And fortunately, like it was, it was more than swim. It was, they went really, really well. And again, if they didn't go really, really well, who knows what the story would tell about my business today. I realized at that level, there's nobody sweeping Facebook ads to say, I'm looking for a Facebook ad strategist. Like friends talk to friends and the only people who do business with each other is based on a referral from someone else. So it was important to me that this worked out. That was a beautiful way to get into it, right? Is going premium and going to like your dream guys because right. if that does work, yeah. those two guys will probably, Open up. they'll fund the rest oh, yeah. of your business yeah. for the years to come, right? That's and it, you know, it's, it's, it's this funny progression where like heroes become clients who then become colleagues who then become students. So it's funny that some of these people are now sending people to the people to be, you know, our training. You know, I, I did a post yesterday because I was teaching right in this room that we're in, you know, on Facebook ads. And people didn't even know it, but Brian Smith walked in the back door. Now, if you don't know who Brian Smith is, he's the founder of Ugg Boots. I mean, he walks in the back door and he sits on the floor because every seat was taken. Nobody knew who he was. I knew who he was. And he's sitting there taking notes at my training. And then he comes to me and he's like, I would love to buy your new book. 
where can I get it? I'm like, he just, this is, this is, <laughs> this is a billionaire. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Who's, who's built an amazing, successful brand with Ugg Boots. What was he doing here? He was learning Facebook ads. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> Honest to God, he knew that this was I a breakout it. room for Facebook yeah, ads. Yeah, so yeah. he walked right in. He sat on the floor because there was no seats left. He pulls out a pen and a paper, starts taking notes. That's amazing. And I was like, I never knew him, knew him in the past. I met him a few times. But I'm like, this is, a, this is not a hero of mine, but this is someone I greatly look up to. He's built an amazing international brand that even if you don't use the product, you know the product. Not too many people can say that. And here he is taking notes about Facebook ads, and he's taking a picture of my whiteboard, and he's asking to buy the book. I'm like, what just happened here? <laughs> so it's, it, I mean, I don't know where we were going with that, but the whole thing is like, yeah, you know, it's, my vision was always to work premium as much as I could and work with the best of the best. And so I set that intention, I kind of moved towards it. And then that led to more and more and more and kind of brought us to where we are today, gracefully. I mean, so appreciative of that. But I think, and I'm not saying that's the best route for everybody. Like not everybody needs to be a premium service. So coming from that Berkeley church, that first time where you're like, I'm going to be a Facebook yeah. ad strategist yeah. to now. Yeah. What's been the toughest part? Because it sounds like, you know, from this conversation is that it went pretty smoothly for the most well, part. Yeah, I don't, but what, was take the, that back. Yeah. what were the toughest parts at the beginning? Well, the whole thing, whenever you endeavor into something new, there's, there's learning, right? So everything sucked and it still sucks. Not everything, but like there's learning along the way. So everything from like how to communicate with these high level folks or something. I learned very quickly what I like to do and what I don't like to do. So early on is, hey, we'll run your Facebook ads and we'll help with your funnels and we'll help with your copy. And very quickly, I was like, oh my God, no, 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 I can't do this. You know, I got burned along the way a few times. I lost money along the way. I hurt people along the way because, you know, I made promises that I couldn't keep. And so, you know, no matter what you do to try and reconcile that, whether it's refunds or whatever, people remember when you let them down. I let people down. In terms of what? Like performance? In terms Performance okay. or whatever it be. And even if it was a miscommunication. So one particular guy in general, I'm not going to mention his name because it's not a great story. He gave me the KPIs and we we're working towards these KPIs and we hit all the KPIs, but he wasn't making the sales on the back end. So we were delivering leads at certain costs and at certain volumes. He wasn't delivering it on the back end and he made me the enemy. Because to be clear, for your service, you're responsible for the front end. Right, the, generating the ads, leads. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So on the back end of the funnel, you have upsells, everything, you know, else. the offer converting, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So that's out of your control. Completely out of my control. Right. But I didn't, I didn't communicate that at the time. Now I do, yeah. and it's very clear, <laughs> but back then I didn't. And so I'm like, hey, this is great. We're getting all these results for this guy. And then it, it ended, didn't end so well. And I didn't know, but he was on my website as a testimonial. And so the problem is when you deal with high-level people like that and they see that person, they reach out to that person and they're like, hey, how was your experience with Nick? And he's like, that was a total flip job. Like it was terrible. And he then reached out to me and he's like, take my stuff down off your site if you don't want it to continue hurting your brand. I was like, oh man, like I didn't even know and whatever, whatever. So like, you know, there's those kind of situations. So there's the growing pains and then there's the failure pains because you let people down. There's the pains of figuring it all out and losing money and trying things. And, and that just, I mean, it still happens to this day. Yep. How'd you navigate that with that, with that experience in particular? Did you let that affect kind of your mindset oh, yeah. or so yeah, yeah. it negatively affected you? So I'm getting better now at not like taking things so personally. Part of that is because I try not to get exposed to that. So I'll let like my right hand kind of deal with all that. And I'm so, some of the instructions are like, hey, if I don't need to see it, I don't want to see it. And if there's fires to put out that don't need me involved, please don't tell me about it. Because I find that it does affect me personally. 
so yeah, in that particular situation, I'm like, oh my God, like, have I done this to anybody else? And like, what are people thinking of me? And, and, and maybe I should not do this. I like, all that question comes up all the time. Like, maybe I shouldn't just do this anymore. So yeah, every time something like this comes, I, my immediate thing is like, oh shit, I'm such a letdown. What a stupid mistake. And then I try to get as quickly to the, like, what's the learning here and how do I readjust? So, uh, you know, certain things were now from that experience, I'm very clear about what I do and what I don't do. And we communicate those right up the front. Now we get to a point even in our business where we will do a funnel audit from somebody before we even take them on as a client to make sure that their backend numbers are in fact strong and converting. So not because I just don't want that to be that miscommunication again, where even if you're like, hey man, you're in charge of the sales, I'm in charge of the leads. And they're like, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, we got the sales, you got the leads, we're all good. Even if they say that, but the sales don't come, then there's still that weird feeling involved. So like all that are just small pivots I've had to make to readjust how we communicate things along the way to make sure that we don't try not to get into those types of experiences, you know, over gotcha, and over again. Gotcha. So looking forward, you're obviously focused on Facebook now and Facebook still, in terms of its advertising platform, it's still relatively young, right? They're, like they're continuing to improve it all the time. Right. So are you looking in the future saying, Facebook's what I do. This mm. is going to be my strength. Right. Or are you looking at Legion as a whole saying, I don't care how I get the leads. I'm going to do everything. Yeah. I am interested in its very core. Like I'm, I'm agnostic to Facebook. It just so happens that Facebook is, in my opinion, the best kind of direct response marketing channel on the planet. And so that's why we use that to execute the principles that we do. But I'm at the core, I'm, I'm more interested in like social advertising and maybe even not even social advertising, but like how are consumers and people consuming content and buying things? How are they doing that? What is causing them to do that? What do you look at to figure that stuff out? I mean, I wish I could say it was more intelligent than actually just seeing where people are spending most of their time. Being aware, right? Yeah, but if yeah. you, I mean, you know, the the way of the way of the desktop computer is coming to an end. And you don't need, you know, massive data to tell you that. You just look at your own behavior. If you can be on your phone 90% of the time and maybe a laptop, the other 10%, like that's just, people's behavior now. You know, a lot of people are spending way more time on social than any other type of platforms currently. So if that's the case and that's where they are and that's where they're hanging out and that's where your buyers are or your customers or your potential customers, then what do you need to do to interact with them in a way that's socially congruent, contextually congruent more specifically? And then how do you engage with them in a way that you're not being a douche or an over over aggressive salesperson, but still be able to build your business using these platforms? Like that's what jazzes me up. Facebook, I just happen to love because it's kind of the thing right now. But if it ends up being something else, then so be it. So it's this fine balance of quote unquote being heralded as one of the top Facebook guys in the world, but not pigeonholing yourself and saying, this is all we do. It's realizing that there's a bigger context and Facebook just happens to be a great platform. So something else comes out that starts taking off you're there because that's where the, the attention is. Yeah. And, and, but we're there from like, I pride myself on being a slow adopter. So I'll sit back and let just people spend the money and let the industry decide. And then if they do end up deciding that that's a better way to go, then we'll jump in. But like, that's why for the longest time people say, well, like, why aren't you on Snap? Why aren't you advertising on Snapchat? I'm like, I don't know. It's too early. Let them work out the bugs. Let them work out the bugs. Let's see if people are really buying on there. Let's see if they have a great advertising platform. You spend the money. You could burn a lot of money seeing if Snap works, right? Yeah. And, and many people did because people said, you know, this is the best thing in the world. Okay, but I'm going to let you decide. And then if the industry says it is in fact great and there's, there's some longevity in it, then we're going to move in there. 
But in, for the time being, you know, we're just going with what's proven to work and we're not going to risk our or our clients' advertising dollars figuring out if the next platform is hot or not. Makes sense. So being the Fail On Podcast, the whole goal is to get people activated right. and actually trying new things and doing stuff and getting outside their comfort zone. So with that said, what's a challenge that you could lay down for us and the listeners? Yeah to go out in the world and actually implement, to get a little bit uncomfortable yeah. that we could report back to. Well, I think you. there's there's two things. There's the one very easy thing because, you know, if you make it a little complicated, everybody bitches and they're like, I'm not going to do that. It's too hard. <laughs> yeah. I think the better challenge would be something that can actually move the needle for you would be to what I did with my dream list. If you're, you know, selling something or have a, a service or something to offer somebody, and it doesn't have to be dream, you know, big names or anything, but I would say go out to people, make an offer they can't refuse like that, and then just put yourself in an uncomfortable position of being forced to deliver a result and then only get paid after that result is in fact delivered. That would be the one I, I would suggest to do because I've done it, so I can say I did it and I can't pansy out of it <laughs> and because it actually moved the needle for me. So that's one. And then the other side of it is also on a very, very practical thing. And I think Noah Kagan gave this this example, but I did it as soon as I heard him do it. Starbucks like, discount. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, but not just Starbucks, like anywhere where you know you can't get it. So like if you're in a retail outlet or you're dealing with any kind of service, just, just and not in a douchey way, but like, but like uh, <laughs> you know. Give me 15% off yeah, of this. <laughs> yeah, but just ask for, like just do something that you would normally do. So if that's ask for a discount at a place you know that doesn't give a discount. If it's trying to get the phone number of someone of the opposite sex with no intention to do anything with it, except you being uncomfortable about doing it. If it's going in the middle of a mall and singing, as you know, loud as, or whatever. As long as you're single. Yeah, married, well, yeah, yeah. Married guys. Yeah, that, that can, yeah, not, not, yeah, let's avoid that. But yeah, something as simple, I think, is, I think, because that's really like me and you can go out into the streets right now and do that. But again, I think the, the bigger needle mover would be for the person to, to do what I did and, and make some offers to people that you might be afraid to make offers to. And you'll see if you can deliver on the goods, it'll be a game changer for you. And if you can't, you're going to get better, right? And Exactly. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks. Of course, we'll Robbie. It's we'll an absolute pleasure, man. We'll catch you next time. All right. Thank you. All right. So you can find Nicholas at Nicholas Kuzmich on Twitter. That's at Nicholas Kuzmich. And of course, all the links and resources Nick and I discuss, including more information on his book, Give and Business, can be found at the page created specifically for this episode. That's at failon.com slash 018. And keep an eye out for the next episode to follow this one. We'll be sitting down with one of my favorite people, Corey Wirt. Corey's had a successful exit building and selling a digital agency that actually focused on selling to Fortune 500 companies. He is currently the founder of Digital Blue Moon, a boutique digital agency in Toronto that is disrupting the old multi-vendor agency model that most people are familiar with. Corey has seen a ton of ups and downs, and he shares why selling his first company was one of the best moments of his life but actually led to a really, really dark place. You don't want to miss it. And as I continue to build out this project with the simple goal of getting people to once and for all decide that they're going to fail their way to creating an inspired life, if you could do one thing to support the cause, I'd be super grateful. When you click the subscribe button and leave a rating and quick review, this allows the podcast to simply be visible to more people. To rate and review the podcast super easy, just visit failon.com iTunes or failon.com Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.